Welcome to the Asia Society Hong Kong Movers and Shakers podcast. Through the short interactive fireside chat, we get to meet with the leaders and game changers in different industries for insights into their personal journey to success, what they learned, how they failed, and other interesting wisdom they may want to share. We're very delighted here at Asia Society Hong Kong Center to be hosting today investor, adventurer, media commentator, author, and citizen of the world, Mr. Jim Rogers. Uh, Jim, I think, needs no introduction. Uh, he is the author of the bestseller, actually many bestsellers, but uh, Investment Biker Around the World with Jim Rogers, as well as Adventure Capitalist, The Ultimate Road Trip, and a host of other books as well. He's, of course, probably most known for being a legendary investor on Wall Street. Uh, back, uh, you know, back on Wall Street, uh, he and his co-founder, George Soros, when they co-founded the Quantum Fund, they actually gained more than 4,000%, uh, while the S&P rose less than 50% during a 10-year stretch. Um, Jim is probably even more known for his, uh, for his adventures uh, traveling by motorbike across China and across the world, actually. And we're delighted to have him here uh, today for a webcast interview. Thank you for joining, Jim. I'm delighted to be here. I'm a fan of the Asia Society, Hong Kong, China, everything. So let's do it. Great. So I guess we'll, we'll start right off with the question about the new president-elect, Joe Biden. So I guess everyone wants to know from your point of view as somebody who's been able to kind of time the market so well, what kind of post-COVID-19 economic recovery do you expect under President Biden? Well, first of all, I make many mistakes. You say I time the market well. I have very many mistakes of market timing. Mr. Biden uh, will continue to encourage money printing. He will encourage more borrowing. He will encourage more spending. The people he is bringing in to his um, apparent administration, all things spending and borrowing and printing is good. It's not. It's not. But who cares what I think? They think it is, and that's what's going to happen. They all want to spend your money. They all want to print more money. They all want to borrow more. Great, interesting. And actually, you know, on that note of, of I guess, politics, do you mind if we ask, do you personally identify as a Democrat or a Republican, or has your position on politics changed during the course of your very interesting lifetime? Shakespeare, once in one of his plays, said a pox on both of their houses. <laughs> and that is my attitude, a pox, a disease, a plague on <laughs> both of their houses. I will tell you, Nathaniel, one of the, my proudest uh, facts is I have never voted for someone who won the presidency of the United States. Wow, that's hard they to believe. They've all been losers. Richard, Nick, I mean, I can go on and on and on. I'm very <laughs> proud I never voted for any of those guys. I have always voted the protest vote because maybe if we stop voting for turkeys, they will stop sending us turkeys. I don't know if you've heard of an, an ex-American president named Abraham Lincoln. Of course, of course. He was a third party candidate. He was a protest candidate uh, and he was very important in American history, etc. cetera. Uh, so I am proud that I have never voted for a winning American president. I am not a Democrat and I am not a Republican, pox on both of them. Shakespeare was right. <laughs> 
I certainly agree that, you know, Shakespeare was definitely right in that case. And I think with, uh, with President Lincoln, of course, who can argue against one of the greatest presidents in American history. So wonderful to know. Thank you, Jim. Um, and I, I guess, you know, currently, I believe you're living in Singapore and you've been living in Asia for the past 10 years. Can, can we ask why you made that decision? And, you know, do you see yourself continuing to live in Singapore and Asia for the foreseeable future? For many years, I, I, first I went to, I first went to China in 1984. I was terrified. I had been told all my life by American propaganda that the Chinese were evil, vicious, bloodthirsty, dangerous people. I assumed I was going to get shot when I got off the plane. Didn't take me long traveling around China to find these are educated, ambitious, cultured, and uh, hardworking people. Save their money, discipline their children. And the more I learned, the more I realized China was going to be the next great country in the world. So I, whenever I went back to America, I always told people, teach your children and grandchildren Chinese. Everybody, of course, laughed and said, no, 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 Japan, Japan, Japan. <clears throat> but I insisted. Then I had a child. Oh, my gosh, what do I do now? So I set out to make sure she spoke Mandarin. Um, it then became very clear if I was serious was going to have to live in an, a, a Chinese, a Mandarin-speaking city, because otherwise it wouldn't work. And so I tried China. China's polluted. Uh, Hong Kong speaks Cantonese, et cetera, et cetera. Singapore, they speak English and Mandarin. I do not speak Mandarin, so it seemed perfect to me. And everything works in Singapore. Right. And, you know, I've heard that your daughters are kind of uh, internet celebrities back in mainland China with their Mandarin singing and, and speaking, which must be interesting for you. I, I guess, you know, for you, I know you grew up in Alabama, then you went to, to Yale on a scholarship and then Oxford. Did you ever think when you were younger, when you were, say, a student, that one day your kids would be speaking fluent Mandarin? Uh, when I was a kid, I could hardly find China on a map, <laughs> much less knowing what Mandarin was back in those days. No, of course not. Of course not. Uh, but my children, yeah, my CCTV has done three specials about my children because their Mandarin is so good. They know Chinese culture so well. They love China so much. So yes, yeah, it's, it's been successful. I speak no Mandarin. I speak zero Mandarin. But my children, that part of this experiment has been very successful. Right. And I think, you you know, you also mentioned Hong Kong, which obviously is where we are based here. I'm just curious for our, our local audience, when was the last time you visited Hong Kong? And do you have any favorite sites or restaurants that, 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 that you know, that you uh, fondly remember here in Hong Kong? Well, I think the last time I was there was January. I mean, Hong Kong is one of my favorite cities in the world. We wanted to live in Hong Kong. But as I say, you know, as and then in those days, anyway, there's certainly much more Cantonese than there is now. Uh, and it was too polluted. Um, I was doing this voluntarily. I didn't want to move to a polluted city. And so uh, not just Hong Kong, as you know, many places in, right. in China are polluted. So we wound up here. Um, favorite place? I mean, everywhere. How can you? Is, is there any bad place in Hong Kong? <laughs> if there is, I want to go there. I haven't found it yet. Um, you know, the amusement parks for kids, the restaurants, the shop, I mean, everything, the people, the vibrancy on the street. Oh, my gosh, what a country, what a city, whatever, call it country, city, whatever we call it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure many of our members are, are happy to hear that. I mean, we like to see ourselves as kind of a bridge or a mix of East and West 
taking the best of both cultures. And uh, I'm happy that you uh, certainly sounds like you've enjoyed your, your time in Hong Kong. And next time you come back, you're, you know, certainly let us know. We'd love to host you again here uh, at our center. Um, so I yeah. hope you can get me back there. <laughs> I hope you can open the airports. I hope I can do it. I want to come. I love it. Speaking of which, I mean, obviously, you are a famed traveler and adventurer, and it must have been tough this year with COVID-19 to not be able to do your usual traveling. I'm just curious, for you, once, say, the vaccines come out, where is the number one place on your bucket list that you have to go to after COVID-19? Well, it would depend on when. Uh, for instance, I, I have some Books in Japan. I've got. I have. Believe it or not, I have three number one bestsellers in Japan in the last eighteen months. Where I would love to go there. Korea. I've got the books in Korea. Uh, and I, I'm very keen on opening up the thirty eighth parallel in Korea. Uh, China, of course. China. I'd love to go to China every day. I love China. So those. And uh, I guess the next one would be Russia, since I'm on some boards in Russia. And I have to attend the meetings by, by Zoom. I would rather go because I now I like Russia. I never liked Russia for many years, but now I like it. Do you mind if we ask why? What changed your opinion about Russia? Well, I first went to Russia when I was a college student, and I came away saying, this is never going to work. Communism never going to work. Um, I went to all the Soviet countries and the, and the Eastern Bloc. Uh, but then four or five years ago, something I noticed something changed in the Kremlin. They didn't murder you and steal your money when, uh, when you were talked about investments or making money. They knew they needed international investors. They knew they needed international expertise. They have huge resources. They didn't have much debt. I mean, nobody would lend money to the communists. Uh, so I thought I perceived and still think that I perceived a change in the mentality in Moscow, and that made me optimistic. So I guess, you know, when you've traveled, you know, around the world and, you know, lately it seems like it's been in Asia, whether it's Korea or Singapore or China, would you say that American dream, do you, do you think the American dream is alive and well um, in other countries aside from America? Like, for example, do you see more of an entrepreneurial uh, mindset, uh, say, in Asia these days? Or do you think America is still leading the way when it comes to innovation and the new frontiers of, of business? Well, first, what you call the American dream, I have driven around the world a couple of times and traveled a lot. It's a human dream. Everybody wants to have a better life for themselves, everybody, especially for their children. So it's really a human dream. Uh, it has been more realizable in some countries at some periods of history than in others. And certainly in the 20th century, America was the, the epitome of, of that kind of, of life. But Everywhere I went, Nathaniel, everybody wanted a better life for themselves. It didn't matter where I was or, or what, the, what kind of situation they were in. And that is still the case. Uh, I happen to see that uh, Asia is the, the, the 21st century is the century of Asia. You know, the 19th century was the century of the UK. The 20th century was the century of the U.S., the 21st century is the century of, of Asia, whether we like it or not. And a lot of people don't like it, but so what? Uh, Asia will certainly have problems along the way. Uh, um, America in the 19th century had many depressions, civil war, very few human rights, little rule of law, and yet we became 
the most successful country in the 20th century. Don't worry, Asia's going to have problems. They're coming up soon. Well, you're starting to see bankruptcies in China. You'll see the more debt problems. Um, so uh, Japan, Japan's got big problems ahead of it. But 21st century is the century of Asia. And this is where I see the capital, the energy, the brains, the ambition, the drive, uh, more so than in the West now. Nearly every Western country has huge debts, does not have the work ethic, the investment ethic that it had 100 years ago, 150 years ago. I mean, but, but, but Nathaniel, history is always changing. Right. You know, that's the way the world has always worked. The one, of the, one of the main lessons of history is people don't learn the lessons of history. <laughs> you know, they don't, they, in Washington right now, we have people who either don't know history or think they're smarter than history. Well, I know history smarter than all of us. And the world is always changing. And there are always new people rising and new regions declining. Right. And, you know, um, on that topic, I think you've also been very outspoken about your expectation or your hope for, as you mentioned, the 38th parallel as far as the re reunification of North and South Korea. I wanted to maybe kind of brief, brief, briefly touch on that. So are you still as optimistic as you were before about that uh, unification of the Koreas? And what what and I think you've also mentioned that when that happens, that would make Korea the most uh, exciting place to invest in. So I guess, you know, how optimistic or bullish are you still currently in 2020 on that happening? I know it's going to happen. Uh, uh, unification and opening the 38th parallel is different from mm. unification. If you open the 38th parallel, who knows what will eventually happen? I mean, probably unification eventually, but you can have different sy system with open parallel, which I expect to happen first. Uh, no, China's for it, Russia's for it, North Korea's for it, South Korea's for it. Uh, the kid, um, Mr. Kim, has made many speeches in China that he is trying to do for Korea what uh, Deng Xiaoping did for China. I mean, it doesn't get reported in America, it doesn't get reported in Japan, because everything is censored, but he's very obvious. You know, the kid is not, not Korean. He grew up in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Now, Nathaniel, did you rather live in Switzerland or North Korea? <laughs> but he'd rather live in Switzerland too, but he cannot go back. So he's opened ski resorts, international marathons, international bicycle races, movie, movie festivals, 15 free trade. He's trying to do it. Um, it's going to happen. The main problem, the Japanese are against it, of course, because they cannot compete with an open Korea and they know it. Uh, and, and so the main problem is the American army. Uh, the American army is the only place in the world that the American army can have troops on the Chinese border and the Russian border. So they don't want to leave. And the <laughs> Koreans, for whatever reason, are not strong enough or tough enough yet to throw them out. Mm -hmm. I'm an American. I don't want them there. I'm paying for it. I don't want to pay for it. And if we're there and a war comes, we're going to be in the war. I don't want to be in the war. I certainly don't want to pay for it. Right. I would like for us to get out of there too. It's none of our business. That war, that Korean war was 70 years ago. Mm -hmm. To ask you, I guess we wouldn't be doing our members justice without asking Jim Rogers about some investment advice. So I guess what is Jim Rogers investing in these days? Uh, what would you advise people to buy or to, sh or to perhaps short uh, these days? Uh, well, I, uh, here we are talking about hot tips, even for the Asia society. Um, 
Well, as you know, uh, markets have been going up for 10 years, uh, mainly, and that's the longest period, at least in American history, without a problem. And so we're getting late in the day. Uh, American stocks are very high. I'm, I'm focusing on America first, since it's the largest economy and the largest market in the world. Um, and stocks are very high. It, it's, there's no question about that. In November, stocks went up probably more than they've ever gone up in nearly any month in history. So it's not early in the day. You've heard buy low and sell high. This is not low, not, not in America. Having said that, what may well happen is we may well have a correction because things have been so strong in November, for instance. Uh, then governments, America, will do everything it can to get the markets back up. Uh, and we'll probably have one last rally and that might be the end because this has been going on a long time. So if I were buying shares, uh, I would be buying in China, Japan, you know, the Japanese market is down 40% from its all time high. Uh, the head of the Bank of Japan goes to work every day early because he's a good Japanese bureaucrat, prints money as fast as he can and buys stocks, bonds, ETFs. Well, I'm buying Japanese ETFs. They're much cheaper on a historic basis. And he's, he's got more money than I do, Nate. I promise you, if he's buying ETFs, I'm buying ETFs. Uh, China's down 40% from its all-time high, maybe more. Um, China's less bad shape than other places right now. So there, Russia, I, bought, I told you Russia's a hated market. Uh, not many people even want to talk about Russia. So I prefer buying things that are depressed. And some specific things, you know, I mean, you know what's happened to travel tourism um, in the world. Uh, recently, there, there's a Chinese word, um, Weiji, yeah, Weiji, mm -hmm. Mandarin word means uh, opportunity and disaster, the same thing. Well, there's Weiji right now in travel, tourism, to, uh, you know, entertainment, uh, about uh, Jap uh, Chinese wine stocks, because people stop going out, people stop going to the bars. Um, Fortunately, most people still don't know there are Chinese wine stocks. <laughs> uh, you know, Russian shipping was crushed. Uh, things that have been crushed is where I've been looking for opportunity. And agriculture, I bought more agriculture recently. Agriculture's been a disaster for a long time. It's another wagey, right. especially in Russia and, and uh, in China. So there, I hope there are opportunities around, or usually are. Oh, Silver. Uh, I'm not buying silver and gold now, but I own silver right. and gold. Um, silver is much cheaper than gold. When I start buying again, I, I will buy uh, silver is down 60% from its all-time high. Uh, and before this is over, gold and silver are going to go up a whole lot. So those are some of the things that I am interested in right now. And does Jim Rogers have a cryptocurrency portfolio by any chance? Or what are your thoughts on, on cryptocurrency? No, I don't. I mean, I wish I did, of course. Um, but throughout history, governments don't like to lose their monopolies. Uh, money is going to be on the computer. Money already is on the computer in China. You can't take a taxi right. in China with money. You have to have your money already on the computer. Every country in the world is working on that. So money is definitely going to the computer. But... It's going to be government money. Governments are, if and when 
cryptocurrencies become successful, uh, governments will out, I mean, government cryptocurrency, yes, 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 yes. But if it becomes a, a threat, governments will outlaw it, they always have. And, and the crypto guys say, well, listen, we're smarter than the government, and they are, oh, they're much smarter than the government. But the government's got the guns, the government's got the tanks. And if the government, and it has often happened, if government makes it illegal, most people, well, I, me anyway, will not use something that government say is illegal. Don't like it. I don't like it at all. But it doesn't matter what I like. I wanted to also touch on, uh, you know, obviously you wrote a very uh, a best-selling book in uh, Investment Biker that detailed, you know, your trip, um, as, you know, I think your trip uh, on bike around China uh, in the 1980s. Uh, was there any particular, uh, perhaps, city or town in China or memory back in the 1980s that stuck with you as the most memorable experience from that trip where, you know, Time Magazine dubbed you as the, the Indiana Jones of finance? And every minute, it was such, such a beautiful delight and joy. I, I could not believe what was happening in my life. And on that trip and on that, on all of those, I've driven across China four times now. It is always, which is the best of the whole, the whole time. I mean, I, I went to, you know, tea houses. I went to fancy restaurant sites. I mean, some, you know, Xi'an, the, the terracotta warriors and everybody in the world should see that at least 16 times. Um, and and the, the beauty of that is you really shouldn't see photographs because you, you think you know what it is, but when you get there, you say, oh my God, the photographs cannot do justice, cannot do justice to walking in there and to seeing them in person. But I can go on and on and on about <laughs> China. I won't bore you, but it's, I don't remember, even bad times I had in China were wonderful, if there were bad times. <laughs> and you know, now obviously you're you know, a, a household name in China, uh, so you know, I'm sure Anytime you go back, they're welcome to. They're happy to welcome you with welcome with 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 uh, open arms. So, you know that's that's awesome. I wanted to also kind of just maybe ask a couple last questions. So, obviously, you know after your tremendous success with the quantum fund, you retired at the very early age of thirty-seven, I believe. Um, any regrets on early retirement, or do you think that all the time, all the adventures you've had since then have made your life that much more fulfilling than if you say stayed in finance and even made more money? Well, if I stayed, I would have a you. Know, I'd be rich, you know. I would have made a huge amount of money. Uh, no, but my my whole life, I'd wanted to have more than one life. I didn't want to just be one person. I, I didn't want to wake up at 90 years old still working in on a computer in Wall Street. I wanted to see the world. I wanted adventure. Uh, now, of course, if I'd stayed, I would be rich. But but that was not my plan for my life. Um, I wanted adventure. I wanted experiences, different lives, different lives. It was something I wanted for, since an early age. I didn't know what I was talking about. Right. had no idea that I knew what I was talking about. I mean, I look back on my life and I would say things when I was young. Well, I meant it. I didn't know I meant it. Uh, now I do. But unfortunately, I'm not 17 anymore. <laughs> uh, or, or fortunately, I'm glad I'm not 17. But, uh, so I, I, sure, I could have stayed and I would be extremely rich now. On the other hand, I've had a, what to me is a great life, and I'm yeah. happy with my life. And I think certainly kind of our last question to kind of, um, you know, circle back to our mission here at, at Age Society, which is to bridge 
you know, East and West for better understanding. So for you, uh, Mr. Rogers, as a legendary American investor who in recent decades, you know, you've become a, a loved figure in, in China. Uh, what are your hopes for U.S.-China relations? Do you see the current relationship as the dawn of a new Cold War, as some are saying, or are you more optimistic that the two superpowers can find ways to cooperate and work better together? Throughout history, when uh, there have been problems in a country, politicians, governments blame foreigners. It's easy to blame foreigners. They have different skin, different hair, different eyes, different language, different religions, different food, different everything. So it's very, very easy all over the world throughout history to blame foreigners, and that's what they do first. That's what was happening in America. Um, both part of the Trump said he's going to win the election by bashing China. Uh, so the Democrats said we will too. China's obviously easy. Um, Trump bashed everybody, Mexico, Germany, Japan, every, Korea, everybody. Um, but China's obviously the easiest. They're the success. They're big, visible. So, but I suspect that at least for a while, that's going to calm down. Even if Trump is still the president, it's going to calm down because the election is over now. Uh, the risk is that when things get bad in a year or two, then they start blaming foreigners again. Not, not just America, but especially America, because America will have the worst problems because we have the worst debt. Um, and so we will start hitting at each other again. China has been uh, remarkably restrained, it seems to me, but even China is now getting involved too. I uh, see what China's, how they're reacting. And, and I mean, it's understandable. You hit somebody in the face a hundred times, eventually they don't just stand there and say, hit me again. Um, but I hope that both sides take a break and calm down because over the past 30 years, America and China have had a lot of great prosperity together and they could continue working together and having more prosperity. Uh, but there certainly has been animosity, which is built up because of what the political parties in Washington did. Many people have emotional thoughts about China, which are totally misplaced. I mean, most people know nothing about China, except politicians say it's bad. Uh, so there, it will take a while for that emotional emotionalism to retreat, I hope. Um, but if it doesn't, and if things get really bad again, it could get bad. You know, throughout history, when you've had a rising power and a stagnant power, they've often run into conflict. <laughs> They're not always, but that's the way. Again, most people don't learn the lessons of history. But history is pretty clear that that is what's happened. Doesn't have to be. I hope it doesn't, but history says it might. <laughs>